On, uh, on April 25, 1990, uh, NASA launched uh, a pretty amazing piece of equipment in, into Earth's orbit. Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, you know, it was, it was going to be one of the most revolutionary devices ever. In fact, in fact it is. Uh, you know, it allowed scientists to see into space uh, in, in such a way that was never possible before. And, you know, when I see the images from this uh, telescope, I'm really amazed at God's handiwork. Uh, Daniel, could you show the picture? This is a, this is a picture... Um, does anybody know what this is called? Pillars of Creation. Yeah, that's uh, that's out there. This is this is God's handiwork, and uh, it, it shows interstellar, interstellar gas and dust in the Eagle Nebula, uh, and it's some sixty-five hundred to seven thousand light years from the Earth. But did you know this, this telescope did not always take uh, such clear pictures? In fact, they've made improvements even since this, pretty recently. When the telescope was first deployed, uh, it, was a, it was a huge disappointment. Uh, it, in fact, it was considered just a, a big waste of money. It was a costly mistake. The engineers who made the mirror uh, made a mistake in the calculation, and the pictures it sent initially were really blurry, uh, because of the faulty mirror, and I remember at the time I was I was in Air Force Space Command, and uh, it was kind of a running joke. Uh, this this Hubble telescope we called it Mr. Magoo in the Sky. Uh, well, fortunately, some really smart people figured out a way to fix the problem with the mirror, and uh, four years later, the Hubble telescope was able to send this kind of picture here. Uh, Last week we talked about unbelief, and uh, you know this unbelief we we saw in the uh, religious leaders at the time. You know they had hardened themselves against the Messiah. They seemed to be, in fact, they they were looking for reasons not to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. If you recall, they were actually looking for a way to uh, to kill him. They were demanding that he show them a, a sign from heaven. And, you know, they were spiritually blind to the signs that Jesus had already given. You know, we've also seen unbelief in, on the, on the uh, part of the disciples as, you know, they've not yet been able to fully put their trust and their faith in, in Jesus, in his ability to provide. Uh, you know, Jesus, remember, he warned them about the leaven of the Pharisees, and they said, oh. We forgot the food. Uh, but the leaven was the corrupting influence of, of unbelief. And uh, unbelief can spread, can spread like leaven throughout the loaf. And so anyway, um, Jesus asked them, you know, having eyes, having eyes, do you not yet see? Having ears, don't you hear? You know, do, do you still not understand? Don't you get it? You know, this, uh, this unbelief was, was indicative of, of spiritual blindness. The spiritual blindness that the uh, disciples were, were experiencing. And that's what, that's what today's sermon is about. It's about blindness. It's about spiritual blindness. And as we look at the second half of Mark chapter 8, we're going to see that, that we're all spiritually blind to some extent. You know, I find it 
interesting, you know, I came, I came in this morning and Danny told me about his eye. And I thought, oh, what a, what a great picture of what we're talking about now. You know, Danny, when you were born, you probably saw pretty well, right? And then you, several years, four years ago, you had surgery. You had cataract surgery. And then you had to have another visit to the doctor. You know, sometimes we need visits to the doctor, the, the great physician. You know, subsequent touches. We'll see that. We're going to see Jesus healing a, healing a blind man from physical blindness. And then uh, we see spiritual blindness removed as the disciples are opened, their eyes are open to see who Jesus really is. So turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he'd spit on the eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid hands on him again, on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. So here's another case where we have somebody who needs Jesus' touch, who needs Jesus' healing, and who's bringing him? Friends. Yeah, we, I think we've seen that a couple times already. You know, uh, it, it doesn't say these are his friends, but uh, it does say that they begged Jesus to, uh, to heal him, to touch him. So I think they were friends if they were begging Jesus like this. You know, this, this is the best kind of friend to have, somebody who will intercede on your behalf, somebody who will pray to Jesus to touch you. You know, it's also the, the best kind of friend for us to be for others. You know, we need, we need to be intercessors. We need to approach the Lord on, on others' behalf. Others behalf. Well, you know, what makes, this, what makes this healing really remarkable is the way that Jesus did it, the way it happened. You know, Jesus did not heal this man's blindness immediately, did he? It says he, um, he, he spat on the man's eyes and laid hands on him. Uh, kind of weird, but uh, that's what he did. Did it heal the man? Yes and no, right? Partially. They, they, you know, he, he said, well, I, I see people, but they look like walking trees. You know, you just imagine if, if you were seeing something very, very blurry, how somebody might describe it like that. So he healed him, but not completely. Uh, Jesus laid hands on him again, and his, his, his sight was completely restored. Um, doesn't that seem strange? It does to me. But we can see what, what's going on here as, as we continue on. You know, this, this man was, was partially healed. He got his partial sight at first, and... Then what happened? You know, um, it re- did it require a second round? Could could Jesus have done it in in one touch? Yes, he could. He could have done it in one touch. He could have done it with one word. He could have done it with one thought, but he didn't. He's trying to teach us a lesson here, and we, you know, we see this in the context of of this passage. You know, before Jesus was talking about spiritual blindness, having eyes do you not see? Do you still not understand? 
And later on, we're going to see this, a, a spiritual picture very similar to what we're seeing here. Uh, you know, some, you, know you, might, you might ask, well, you know, why, did, why didn't it work the first time? Was Jesus real tired and, and it just didn't take? Was, was this like a mistake he made? It's like the, the Hubble telescope. Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus healed many blind people, but this, I think this is the only time where it's in stages like this. Uh, he didn't have to do it this way. And uh, Mark doesn't really help us out here explicitly by giving us an explanation of why Jesus did it this way. You know, in order to stand, to understand the point, we need to keep reading uh, and, and find out that uh, Jesus did this to teach us something. He did this to give us a lesson. Uh, you know, when we look at the context of the miracle, it makes sense. The blindness that we've seen so far in this, this chapter and what comes before is, is spiritual blindness. Uh, but I don't think it's been utter blindness. You know, when Jesus talk, told the disciples, you know, don't having eyes, do you not see? Well, they saw some. You know, they, they understood who Jesus was to a certain extent, enough to where they, they laid down their whole livelihood and, and followed this, this rabbi. They knew something was special about him. But they haven't quite yet come to clearly realize, to clearly see who, who Jesus is. You know, they're on, they're on track for knowing, but they're not quite there yet. You know, they've, they've seen enough, they've, they've heard enough to know that this, this man is not just an ordinary person. They've, they've seen the miracles. They've heard him speak. They, they know that, that he has something here. But they are still, in a sense, kind of Groping around in the dark. Let's, let's continue with verse 27. <clears throat> Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and uh, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, Who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, he said, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Well, this this is really kind of one of the uh, one of the peaks of this gospel here. It's it's a high spot. This is this is a watershed moment for the disciples. You know, Peter's the one who makes the statement, uh, and he's representative, I believe, of of the other disciples. You know, it's it's here where they they finally recognize who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah who has been promised all these years to God's people. He's here. He's the, he is the Christ. You are the Christ. You know, when Jesus asked them what other people are saying, though, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to hear the, the answers. You know, back in chapter 6, when Herod had killed John the Baptist, remember, he, uh, Herod said, well, he, Jesus is John the Baptist coming back to life. Uh, you know, Elijah, the great Old Testament prophet, he, in some sense, was doing some of the same things that Jesus did. He was performing miracles. He was speaking on God's behalf. He was a prophet, one of the prophets with a, with a new revelation from God. You know, this is what, 
what people were saying. And, uh, you know, these aren't bad guesses, really, but they're not correct. And Jesus puts this question to them, who do you say I am? Who is Jesus to you? Peter says, you're the Christ. This is, this is a breakthrough moment for, for Peter and the other disciples. They're finally seeing this, this spiritual blindness which is, has, has plagued them about who Jesus was and whether they were able to put their trust in him completely. It was touched. It was, it was healed. They're finally seeing who Jesus is. And Peter, when we look at the account in Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, 17, you know, Jesus makes it very clear that Peter didn't make this discovery on his own. It wasn't his realization. He wasn't, you know, it's not like he was so smart that he, that he figured this out. It says, blessed are you, Jesus said this to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. You see what just happened? Peter has been touched by God. He's received spiritual healing for his blindness. You know, we've, we've seen in the last seven or eight chapters the struggle who, that, that people have had seeing Jesus clearly for who he is. Well, how does this, how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? You know, how are, how are we spiritually blind? You know, are there, are there things that we don't yet quite see clearly? Yes. Yes, we all are spiritually blind to a certain degree. Uh, Paul acknowledges that in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 12, doesn't he? He says, for now we, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. You know, one day we're going to be face to face with Jesus. He says, now I know in part, I shall know fully as I have been fully known. He says, we, we shall see him face to face. He, who, who is we? It's all of us. It's, it's those who are, are his children, those who are in his family. We all are at least partially blind. This is something that plagues all of us. We all can say we don't fully know who Jesus is. We don't fully know God. You know, this is why Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his re- resurrection. You know, it was, it was something that he strived for as, as we should. You know, we don't fully comprehend the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, but the final round is coming and we will. And, uh, you know, as we saw with this man whose blindness Jesus healed, we... We see that Peter's blindness is only partially healed, just like the first round with with this man. Our blindness needs God's healing touch, just as this man's eyes did. And, you know, something, something else we see is that it needs subsequent touches, just like Danny's eyes needed subsequent touches visits to the to the doctor let's look at the next few verses starting with 31 he says and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and he said this plainly 
It's important to, to realize Jesus said this very plainly. He made it very clear what he's talking about. He wasn't talking in, in riddles or, or parables. He's just coming right out saying it, right out saying it. I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. Made it plain in day, plain as day. Peter took him aside, though, and began to rebuke him. Turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Uh, so here we've got Peter who just said to Jesus, You are the Christ. That was a big step, but, you know, it wasn't complete healing of his spiritual blindness, was it? Peter's still seeing walking trees. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Peter was thinking when, when Jesus asked him, who, who are you? And he said, I'm Christ. I'm sure Peter was saying, yes, I'm the one that figured it out. You know, I, I got it first. I, I, I realized this before any of the other disciples. Kind of like, kind of like John when he talks about how he ran faster than the other disciples when, when Jesus uh, was raised. You know, and the other disciples are probably sitting around thinking, "Oh man, I, w- I wish I had come up with that first. You know, I wish I had said that." And I bet Peter was pretty proud of himself. Uh, but we know it was God who revealed this to to Peter. You know. And, and then Peter gets in trouble. With the same confidence that he said, you are the Christ, with that very same confidence, he says, no, Jesus, you're wrong. You're not going to die. You're not going to suffer. He, he was very bold about, about this. You know, uh, He says, Jesus, you're not going to be rejected by the uh, religious leaders and killed. You know, no way would that happen to the Messiah. You know, maybe... Uh, who knows, maybe part of Peter's upset was that Jesus was, his, was, in a way, inviting his disciples to enter into this suffering with him. But, you know, you, you kind of want to grab Peter at this point and say, oh, come on, you know, just, just keep quiet and listen. But he wasn't hearing from God now. He had ears, but he wasn't hearing. He had eyes, but he didn't see. He was, he was operating on his own strength, and, and he was still partially blind. Again, he was still seeing walking trees. You know, we need, we need to realize that we are partially blind spiritually. You know, because some of our blindness has been healed. You know, God has given us revelation of himself in the past. You know, we, those of us who are saved, you know, we, he's revealed who he is to us. We've come to him, trusted him as our savior. And you know what? We can be proud of ourselves, just like just like Peter was, and this is a dangerous thing, pride. You know, we can we can fall prey to that, and you know, we can we can find ourselves working at cross purposes with with God. You know, pride pride is frequently mentioned in the Scripture in the same context as as Satan, in the same breath as the enemy. In James 4, 6 through 8, listen to this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Uh, you know, Peter himself later on, when he was more mature and much older and wiser, expressed the wisdom that he had learned. First Peter 5, 6 through 8, he says this, very similar. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Listen to this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Why why do these warnings about pride tie to Satan in the the scripture? There's a relationship. What is that relationship? Listen to what Jesus says about Satan in the Gospel of John, John 8, 44. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. You know, Satan is the quintessential proud being. He's, he's the most perfect example of, of a liar, He's the father of all lies, Jesus says. And, and Jesus says that he speaks, he lies out of his character. It's, it's, it's Satan's character to lie. And you know what? We're all susceptible to the same kind of uh, error. The same kind of thing can happen if we speak out of our own character instead of God's character. That's what Peter is doing here. That's why Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You know, we, we run the risk of operating out of, out of pride and self-sufficiency. Uh, we, we run the risk of operating out of our flesh instead of operating out of the spirit. And we, when, we, when we do this, we may end up doing uh, the devil's bidding. Look at what Peter says, or what Jesus says to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You know, so it's, it's clear we know that Peter's declaration is not true. It's a lie. And Jesus attributes it to Satan, uh, the father of all lies. You know, and, and Jesus' reaction here is pretty strong. It's like, whoa. You know, it's, it's something we should think about, you know, because we can all make this same mistake. We're all vulnerable to being proud. We're all vulnerable to operating out of our character rather than God's. You know, Peter, though he declared Jesus to be the Messiah, now is dead wrong about who the Messiah is. You remember that about the Pharisees? They wanted a sign from heaven to prove that God had had sent him, to prove that he's who he claims to be. They expected something different from what he was. They expected a a warrior to come and rescue God's people from the the oppressive hand of the, the Roman Empire. Jesus came in a different way. You know, Peter is is suffering the the same blindness about who Jesus is, about what Jesus came to do. Same misconception. You know, the the idea of a suffering Savior 
just did not register. Even though Jesus had spoken plainly that this was going to happen. Peter rebuked Jesus. Uh, you know, the idea of, a, of the Messiah being killed by, by the religious leaders, by the Romans, that, that was just, I don't know, how could this be? But you know, the notion of a, of a crossless Christ is a lie. It's a, it's a falsehood from, from Satan. Jesus points it out as, so, as such, you know, and I think, I think it's the same kind of Christ that some people desire today. You know, some people want to see Jesus as just a really good person. Some people want to see Jesus as a guy who came and, you know, said a lot of really good things. You know, we should, we should listen to some of the things he said. Uh, you know, very, very wise. It's good to live a, a good, upright life and a lot of these things, which, yes, they are good. You know, but, but he's more. He's more than just a, just a great man to follow. You know, the, the idea of his, his bloody death, his suffering and dying for the lost, for the sins of the world, you know, that's, to, to some people, that's just distasteful. They, they're blinded. You know, Islam teaches that Jesus was not God. Jesus was not the son of God because God would never subject himself to suffering at the hands of man. They, they can't accept it. You know, they, they say surely an all-powerful God would never allow himself to be humiliated that way. But notice what Jesus says. He says, the son of man must suffer, must suffer. Why does he say must? It says he must be rejected and and killed and raised on the third day. This must happen. Why? Hmm? To atone for sin. Uh, Absolutely, to atone for sin. Also to, uh, to fulfill prophecy. You know when we when we read the uh, the messianic psalms when we read when we read the the book of Isaiah which <laughs> some people call the gospel of Isaiah because it speaks so much of Jesus it speaks of this suffering savior uh, we we read Isaiah 53 which which speaks of the suffering servant who would take our sins upon himself Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was, pers- he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We're saved by this suffering Messiah. So why did... Why did Jesus say he must do this? Because we read in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why Jesus said this, that he must do this, that he must die, that he must be raised. But the, the religious leaders didn't make, didn't make the connection. These people who were such great 
experts in, in reading the scripture and understanding did not believe it, apparently. They, they were spiritually blind. Apparently, Peter didn't believe it either. Uh, something interesting, do you know that Isaiah 53 is not read today in the synagogues as part of their, their uh, lectionary, you know, the systematic reading of the Old Testament. They just skip it over, skip over it. They're still waiting for the Messiah, but they're spiritually blind. Their, their religious leaders are spiritually blind, just as these were. You know, when Jesus said he must be rejected, suffer, die, be raised, it was because that's what he came to do. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came in order to take our sins upon himself. He came to conquer death on our behalf because he was raised. And we just sang this, because he was raised, we have the hope of resurrection ourselves. You know, Paul talks in First uh, Thessalonians, I believe, maybe second, that we're not like those who do not have hope. We have hope because Jesus was raised. We will be raised. We have eternal life because of God's great love for us. Because he sent his son to die and be resurrected so that we would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Well, as we uh, continue in Mark, we see that uh, Jesus is going to tell his disciples two more times. Three times he told them that he was going to die and Suffer, be rejected, be raised on the third day. But we're going to also see that they continue to suffer from spiritual blindness. You know, you you would hope that Jesus' very stern reaction to Peter would be taken as a warning and that would that it would uh, affect change, but uh, but it won't, not yet. And we tend to we tend to be the same way, don't we? You know, we uh, our, our blindness needs to be healed. And just like this man, I believe God does it in in stages. You know, our our initial healing was coming to Jesus in the first place, knowing that Jesus died for us. How do, how are we healed from our spiritual blindness? First of all. Uh, you know, we we need we need to know that we are. You know, not re- not realizing our blindness in itself is a form of spiritual blindness. I was talking with Danny earlier about the about uh, having a cataract surgery, and my dad did several years ago, and uh, he he said, you know, the, the very first thing he really realized was that the sky's blue. You know, it's I mean, it's blue, <laughs> and he didn't realize that it wasn't. You know that that had just kind of that blueness, that that intensity of color just you know f- slowly slowly faded away from his capacity to to see. Like a smoke haze, yeah. So. What's the solution? You know, we're, um, are, is it, are we, is, do we have hope? Are we utterly without hope? Are we hopeless? No. Uh, do we, do we just 
accept our spiritual blindness and go on and do the best we can despite that? No. Period. No. Uh, first, we need to realize we have this, this deep issue, this deep spiritual issue. You know, we, uh, we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to overcome our, our pride and admit that we have this failure of not seeing clearly. Admit that we don't know everything as well as we think we do. And second, we, we need to ask Jesus. We need to approach him and ask him to heal our blindness. You know, Jesus wants us to be in a close relationship with him. He wants us to know him and the power of his resurrection. That's why he came. He came to bear the burden of our guilt, to pay the penalty on our behalf. We need to believe in him, not ourselves. Initially, to come to salvation, but the daily walk of of the Christian life is, is a walk of being continuously healed, being continuously touched, being with him. You know, true spiritual sight comes only from the touch of the Savior. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, unless you have a holy dissatisfaction that your level of experience and that your level of spiritual sight and that your level of experience of God's love and your level of experience of God's holiness, unless you are dissatisfied and saying to Jesus, no, I still don't see a right, then you're not going to keep growing. We need those subsequent touches. Third, part of seeing clearly as a believer is knowing God's word, the Bible. You know, in it, God has revealed himself. You know, we we need the Bible. We need the filter of his word. Any teaching or supposed revelation has to line up with, with with the word of God. You know, there's, there's a lot of false teaching going around. There always has been. Nothing new under the sun. There's a lot of teaching that's causing spiritual blindness and encouraging spiritual blindness. You know, Jesus, Jesus talks about the blind leading the blind. Also, when we feel that God is telling us something, we need to check it out in the scripture. You know, check it out against God's word. Use God's word as, as the yardstick with which you measure everything. Well, in closing, you know, we're all, again, we're all spiritually blind to one, one degree or another. You know, this, this blindness can show itself in, in many different areas in our lives. And we all need Jesus' healing touch to to cure us, to heal us of our spiritual blindness. We all need to acknowledge our weakness and our blindness and, you know, that we need those subsequent touches. And, uh, you know, until the day when we no longer see dimly, like Paul talks about, like through a glass, when we see Jesus face to face, we just need to keep coming to him over and over. Keep coming to him. Jesus, we uh, we don't always see clearly, and we just absolutely need 
your touch, Lord. Give us, give us sight. Uh, touch us, Lord. Lord, as, as that song says, uh, you know, open, open the eyes of our, our heart, Lord, that we want to see you. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. We want to see you. And as Paul prayed for the, uh, the, the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, he prayed that, that the eyes of, of their hearts would, would be illuminated. And Lord, we, we long for that day when we see you face to face, Lord, when we fully understand and fully know you. Lord, when our spiritual vision is, is 2020, uh, Lord, heal, heal the blindness in our relationships, Lord. Help us to see and, and consider others as, as being more important than ourselves, Lord. Our, our pride can get in the way so much. We don't see the weakness in, in our relationships, Lord. Open our eyes. Lord, help us to know that uh, we can't heal ourselves. We can't do it on our own. We, we need you. Lord, as, as, as it says in your word, Romans 12, uh, never be wise in, in your own sight. Lord, help us to know that true vision, true spiritual vision, true wisdom comes from you and, and you only. Lord, let us trust in you and not in ourselves. Lord, heal us. And we pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus, your powerful name. Amen.